Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reveling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to, the, to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. Thank you, Scotty. It's good to be with you here today. I've been gone the past couple of weeks. Uh, This past uh, Wednesday, I got home from spending 10 or 12 days with, uh, with my mom and my three brothers in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It's, uh, it's always good to be down there. It's always great to be back, and I am glad to be back here. But if you were, if you were in Hattiesburg last weekend and you turned on the news, the uh, meteorologist would have told you uh, the forecast is for rain. It's going to rain hard. There's going to be a lot of lightning. And some people, no doubt, heard that, that news report, and that was good news. And they're finally going, great. Finally, we need the rain for the crops, for our lawns, for everything. But I know for a fact that many people heard that weather report as bad news because Southern Miss was hosting Tennessee for the Super Regional NCAA Baseball Tournament. Uh, Best two out of three, whoever won, uh, went to Omaha for the uh, World Series, and uh, sadly, Tennessee won. But for some people, the exact same news was good news for others. It was bad news, and they all had their reasons. And I say all this because today's passage also tells us that the news about Jesus that Paul brought to the city of Antioch, it was good news for some, it was bad news for others. Some people heard it, they believed, they rejoiced. It's like the best thing we've ever heard. And other people heard it as bad news. Uh, they, they responded with unbelief and with aggression. And the same dynamic is at play in our, in our world today, in our city. Same dynamic is at play here in this room. 
Uh, no doubt some of you will hear the news we're going to talk about today and you're just like, it just resonates with your heart. That is so good to hear. And others of you, you may respond, you know, with, with uh, a degree of animosity or even hostility. It may sound like bad news to your ears. Your response may be somewhere in between. But as we look at this passage today, I want to encourage you to pay attention to your heart, pay attention to how you respond. What is your instinct, your gut response to this news about Jesus. The scripture suggests that uh, what you believe about Jesus is more consequential than what you believe about anything else. And so this passage, the passage Scotty read, tells us two foundational things concerning the news about Jesus. First of all, the news about Jesus comes with a promise and it comes with a warning. It comes with a promise and a warning. I hope you're here last week to hear Steve Peterson. Just what a wonderful message. I watched it yesterday. What a wonderful message. And he explained how the church at Antioch in Syria, they sent out Paul and Barnabas to spread this news about Jesus to the surrounding regions and and peoples. And uh, Luke tells us here that they came to another city of Antioch. It's a different city, but it's in the, the region of Pisidia. It's Galatia. And on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue, and they sat down, and after the reading of the scripture, the ruler of the synagogue, they uh, offered Paul and Barnabas, do you have a word of encouragement? If so, stand up and tell us. I think later he would regret making that offer, but their, their reputation had preceded them, and so Paul stood up to tell this news that, that was burning on his heart. And Luke tells us there were both Jews and God-fearing Gentiles that were there. And Paul gave this kind of this whirlwind history of of Israel from the Old Testament. He emphasized that God was good to Israel in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their waywardness. He said God chose Israel, not because they were the greatest in number or because they were the most noble. They weren't. He chose them. He simply set his love on them to make them an example. This is what it looks like for a people to be in relationship with the one true living God. And he chose them to introduce the Messiah to, to be a light to all the nations of the earth. Paul reminded them that when they went to, to Egypt, God multiplied them. God delivered them uh, after uh, time in Egypt. He delivered them from slavery. He put up with them for 40 years in the wilderness. And he gave them the promised land. He drove out seven nations from before them in, that were in the land. Uh, Paul told them that when they asked for a king, he gave them Saul. When Saul's king, kingship failed, he gave them a better king, a man named David, who was a man after God's own heart. Now we come down to verse 23 and we read this. Paul says, of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And so in spite of all the fickleness, in spite of all the unfaithfulness, in spite of all the rebellion over the years, God in his goodness, he still supplied a Savior. And you would have thought that the people just responded with this incredible gratitude. Finally, we've got this Savior that's been promised. But actually, Paul Paul said, actually, the, the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem they didn't recognize him. They didn't understand the prophecies in, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They didn't understand what the prophets were promising about the Messiah. And so they condemned him. Even though he was innocent, they condemned him. 
they killed him and they put him in the tomb. You think that would be the end of the story, but not so. Paul says, but God, but God raised him up and he vindicated him by bodily raising him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to his followers who became eyewitnesses to the people. And so Paul and Barnabas announced that they were bringing them good news that Jesus is the son of God that was promised in Psalm 2. Jesus is the holy one that Psalm 16 promised he would be the one who had not rot in the grave. And at this point, Paul makes this message about Jesus very personal. He wanted to persuade them. He wanted them to take seriously that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And at this point in my message, I hope to make this incredibly personal as well because this news is just as relevant and I would love for you to be persuaded ultimately by God to believe that Jesus is the the Savior. But first of all, Paul talks about uh, the promise. This news about Jesus comes with a promise and a warning. First of all, the promise, verse 38. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And so he's saying to you, forgiveness of sins is available. And if God forgives your sin, he looks you in the eye and he says, even though you have sinned against me, even though you have offended me times without number, through Jesus Christ, I will say to you, I will never hold it against you. I'll never throw it in your face. I'll never bring it up. It will not condemn you. It will be forgiven. And he says in verse 39, and by him, by Jesus, everyone who believes experiences freedom. Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And we'll talk about everyone in a few minutes. He's going to emphasize this refers both to not only to Jews but also to Gentiles. And uh, pointing out Captain Obvious here, this everyone, uh, everyone applies to everybody in this room as well. No matter whether you have been going to church your entire life or you just wandered in, in here today because you heard there was free coffee. Uh, everyone who believes is freed. And there, he says it's freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Books like Romans, Galatians, and uh, Hebrews emphasize that the law could do a lot of things, but it can't free you from sin. The law is profitable. It's good. It reveals the mind of God. It reveals how we should live our lives. It reveals our sin when we're so woefully inadequate to obey the commands. But one thing it cannot do is free you from sin. And that's why passages such as Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 and 37 promise that there's going to be a new covenant that would accomplish what the old covenant, what the law could not. And whereas the old covenant was written on tablets of stone, remember Moses came down from the, the, the mountain with the Ten Commandments, this new covenant would be written on the human heart by the Holy Spirit. And so instead of being something external you try to do, it would be something internal that flows. You have this desire to do it. You are empowered to live out your life with God in the new covenant. And as Paul suggests here in Acts 13, people enter into this life-giving covenant through faith in Jesus. Those who believe are freed from the bondage and from the power of sin. And so that's a promise. Everyone who believes lives. But in verses 40 40 and 41, he gives a a warning. Remember, Paul has already said that in the Old Testament, 
uh, or, or that, that uh, in Jerusalem, uh, the authorities there, they didn't believe the prophets when he said that, that uh, this is who the Messiah would be. And so he's warning the people in Antioch to avoid the same response. So he says this, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you. Now that's a, a prophecy that was found in, in Habakkuk 1, and God told the prophet, he said, I'm going to do something in your day. This was 800 years earlier from, from the time of Paul. So I'm going to do something in your day that will be astounding, and people are not going to believe it. They're, they're going to disbelieve it. But I'm going to take, the, I'm going to take this, this kingdom of Babylon, I'm going to send for them, and they're going to take you, my people, into exile. You've been living, you've been just craving to worship the gods of the nations. I'm going to take you to the nations. You're going to live in the nations. Eventually, I'm going to bring you back. But there were false prophets that they said, they disbelieve it. They said, no, God would not do that. He would not take a pagan nation to judge his chosen people. And so they wouldn't believe it. And Paul is, is warning them, his, his readers, and as he says there, those who disbelieved perished. And in the same way, Paul challenges his readers to understand that in their day, in the first century, God was doing something astounding that a lot of people, when they were told it, they, they wouldn't believe it. As a matter of fact, they say, it's just foolishness, it's just blasphemous that God would save his people by a crucified Savior. That just doesn't happen. That is not the way God works. And so they disbelieved, and, and, and Paul says, don't let that be your response. Don't you respond the way they did in Habakkuk's day and the way they did in Jerusalem. He says, if you disbelieve, you will perish. Instead of eternal life, you would experience eternal punishment. And this is really the message of John 3.16, and it's a promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. There's a promise. You will have eternal life. But implicit in that is a, is a, a warning. You will not perish means that you will perish if you disbelieve this message about Jesus. And so that's the warning. Everyone who disbelieves perishes. And so the news about Jesus came with a promise and a warning. Everyone who believes lives. Everyone who disbelieves perishes. And I don't know if you've ever really heard the news about Jesus in those terms, but that's the clear teaching of the New Testament. In the rest of the passage, Luke describes two very different responses to this news about Jesus. And we see the second thing about this news, namely that the news of Jesus is good news to some and it's bad news to others. Just like whether you hear a weather report or the score of a ball game or the, the outcome of an election, the same news can be good news to some and bad news to others. And so in verses 42 and following, we see the immediate reaction of the people who heard Paul teaching in the synagogue. As they went out, the people begged the, that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They, they were intrigued by what they heard, and they, they were hungry for more. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue 
in the grace of God. And so there was this, this block of people that heard it as good news. They were hungry for more. They followed Paul and Barnabas. They wanted more conversation, more interaction over this news. But Luke quickly tells us that there were others who heard it as bad news. This is what happened a week later. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And so he's talking here about the, the Jewish leaders in the synagogue. And so they were jealous that the, that the whole city had shown up to hear what Paul was teaching. They were jealous because Paul was getting bigger crowds than they were. And just like um, the people mentioned in Habakkuk 1, they didn't believe that God was doing an astounding thing. This was a threat. And in their pride, they would rather deny this news about Jesus than, because, uh, than acknowledge that the then acknowledge that they didn't understand, they knew the contents of the Bible, but they didn't know the heart of God. 10 or 12 years earlier, uh, Paul was that guy when he was on the road to Damascus. He, 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 was, he would not believe that God was doing an astounding thing from Jesus, but his heart was quickly changed when Jesus confronted him. So Paul and Barnabas replied, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you, spoken first to you, but since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And it's not that Paul would never speak or preach to the Jews. His pattern was to go to the Jews first, go to the synagogue, but then to the Gentiles. That was his pattern. But since here in this location, they weren't having anything of it. He said, I'm going to the Gentiles now. And that was a bold move, a bold thing to say. And he did that for at least a couple of reasons. Um, number one, uh, Paul had this assignment from God. He was assigned to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And number two, he, in verse 47, he refers to the, the uh, uh, book of Isaiah. He says, for the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is prophesied. This is what was supposed to happen from years and centuries earlier. Well, notice the contrasting responses to Paul and Paul's announcement that this news about Jesus was meant for all the peoples of the earth, including the Gentiles. First, the believing Gentiles, they, they heard this is good news, okay? Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That's a striking statement. As many as were appointed to eternal life believe. That's not something you know ahead of time. That's, not some, that's something you understand after the fact. If, you're believe, if you believe, you were appointed for eternal life. And people put that together in all different ways. But this is meant to be just a, a bomb for our souls. God wanted me. God pursued me. Therefore, God will sustain me and help me persevere. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So some accept that as good news. By contrast, the Jewish authorities, they heard this is very bad news. Verse 50, and the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city 
They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So understand, Luke isn't talking about people who were still kind of considering this news about Jesus. He's describing people who had resolutely disbelieved and they were hardened to this message. And so they, they uh, wanted to shut it down. That happened everywhere Paul went. Uh, he, uh, there was organized, violent opposition to this simple message about Jesus. And so he did what Jesus urged the disciples to do back in Matthew 10. They shook the dust off of their feet against them and went on to the next place, to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so we see this contrasting, these contrasting responses to the exact same news. To those who believed, it was good news. To those who disbelieved, it was bad news. Now, I want to take the rest of our time for us to think about our responses to, to this news. For those of us who are followers of Christ, to those of us here today who are not yet followers of Christ. First, if you're already a follower of Christ, there came a time in your life when you responded to this news about Jesus and you realized, man, this is, this is my chance. This is my only chance to have my sin forgiven and to enter into this relationship with God. So there, became a, a time, there came a time in your life when the news about Jesus was good news. You, you believed and you began to experience eternal life. And it could be that that happened to you at, at a very decisive time. Some of you can, can name the day, the time, the place where you were. Others, others of us would say, yeah, you know, it just came to this point where I, I just knew I believed. And that's what the New Testament, when it talks about a believer, this is a present active part of it. It's like it's someone who is continually, presently believing about Jesus. And that's what really matters a lot more than just knowing the date, okay? You are a believer. That's what matters. Now, my challenge is, is, is for you to ask yourself a question, okay? Ask yourself this question. Does the news about Jesus still amaze me? And give me joy. Or is it, oh, that's why I used to be in church. It really is. Seriously. Until recently. And uh, <laughs> does the news about Jesus still amaze you, amaze me and give me joy? Or is it old news? Has it become commonplace? Just blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus died. He rose again. Is it, is it, is it just background noise in your life? You know, as I was in college, I, I started listening to this new thing. It was called Christian music, okay? I mean, I'd heard hymns in church, but I never heard Christian music. And up until that point in my life, I listened to songs like Honky Tonk Women, Only the Good Die Young, Night Moves, and Margaritaville. It was just wholesome stuff. But then I, I came, there's these people singing Christian songs, or it seemed like they're like eight or ten. These groups and people like like um, B.J. Thomas and Keith Green and Love Song and Randy Norman and Amy Grant and I was just it's like you ever heard of a cassette tape and so I I got cassette tapes and I just wore them out I just played them over and over and over again and I went to LSU and I had this roommate and he was really into music and I thought he should try this so I gave him some of these cassette tapes and said hey listen to these and let me know what you think. And a few days later, I got back in touch with him, and he's like, well, they're okay, but they're all talking about the same 
thing. They're all talking about Jesus and him dying and then coming back to life. And I'm like, no, that's not the way. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, exactly. That, that's it. That, that's why I love these songs. My faith was fresh. And I just love thinking about the death and resurrection of Jesus, singing about it, and hearing about it. I just love the gospel. And that should still be the case for me today, 40 plus years later. That should be the case for every believer. If you become bored with the gospel, you're in a very dangerous place spiritually because everything we believe, everything we experience in our walk with God flows from, our, from the death, resurrection, and enthronement of Jesus Christ. Our happiness, our holiness, our ethics, it all flows from the gospel. We treat each other the way God in Christ has treated us. And so I would encourage you this week, maybe over the next few days, spend some time in prayer, in thought, which is meditation, and in conversation about the question, does the news about Jesus still amaze me and give me joy? Well, let's think about the implications of this passage for those of you who are not yet followers of Christ. And in light of today's passage, I would encourage you to to think about a couple of things And first, I want you to notice how you are just here today, how you are responding to this message. If you believe, you have life. If you disbelieve, you perish. How are you responding to this message? And as we've seen in the passage, there are any number of different different responses, some positive, some negative. There are some in between. And uh, as we saw, some people that heard Paul that first Sabbath, they responded very positively. They were hungry. They wanted to hear, hear more. And maybe that's your response here this morning. Maybe you've come to a place in your life where you're not going to church because you're supposed to, but you decide to come to church because you recognize there's a void in your life. There's some void in your life that nothing else you've tried is filling. And you're curious, you're open, you're, you're, you're willing to think about whether Jesus might satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. I'd encourage you to do what they did in Acts 13. Come back the next week. They came back. They wanted to, they wanted to hear more, and, and uh, uh, they took a risk, and they heard more about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We read about Jesus every single week, and this is the type of thing that's worth an investment. It's worth, it's worth making a front burner issue, and so maybe you're, you're curious, and you respond really, really pretty positively. On the other hand, today's passage tells us that others, like the Jewish authorities, they responded negatively, and they had their reasons. Uh, it was, there was jealousy, there was tradition, they wanted to hold on to their power, they, they liked the status of being the ones in the know, and they eventually became aggressive and violent. And it may be that your response, your initial response is somewhat negative or you're, it's trending negative anyway. And so I just, I, I just encourage you to notice how are you right now, present tense, responding to this message about Jesus. And if your response is, is negative, uh, I would also encourage you to consider why is that the case? Why is that the case? And there are probably reasons. There may be some incredibly valid reasons. 
It may be that, that uh, you've got a church horror story. Almost everybody I talk to has a church horror story. I'm not going to make you raise your hands. I have church horror stories, okay? Maybe Christians have done bad things to you, mean things to you, and you just, just that, uh, that you've got this anger and this resistance that's lodged in your soul. And so you are understandably very cautious when you hear this message. And I get that. And, and this, this church is far from perfect, but we, we seek to be a safe place where you can explore your faith and you can have honest conversations, non-pressurized conversations about Jesus. And so that's one thing. Or it could be that you don't like the diagnosis sinful. You know, our culture doesn't say you're sinful. You, you know that, don't you? No, our culture tells you you're really a good person. You do some bad things, but you're fundamentally good. The message of the Bible is that we are born in sin. We sin by nature. We sin by choice. And so we have this sin problem, and it has to be taken care of. And so maybe your resistance is that you didn't come in here for that diagnosis, okay? You didn't come to church to be told you, are, you have this terminal disease that's called sin, and it has to be taken care of by a Savior. And it might be the term Savior. Wait a minute. I don't need to be saved from anything. I'm good, you know. I'm better than most people I know anyway. And so maybe that's the thing that you're, you're hold up. Or maybe, maybe you, you, when you think about following Christ, it just seems too restrictive it seems too rigid. Maybe you, you, there's some, some aspects of the morality that's found in Scripture, and you're like, I just don't, I just feel like that would be squeezing me into a box, and I just, my life would get smaller and smaller and smaller. I used to think something like that. I'm actually finding that the exact opposite is true. But maybe you've got these, these reasons why. I'd encourage you to, to name them and identify them. And I want to just close with a story that, that I think puts all this in perspective, whether you're already a follower of Christ or whether you're not yet. And this is a story I've told uh, two or three times over the years. It's a story that Tim Keller uh, liked to tell when he talked about workplace theology. Uh, Tim Keller was a pastor in New York City. He died about, about a month ago. But uh, he tells this story when he was, he was a pastor in New York City. And he would see this woman. She would, she would come occasionally, but he never got to talk to her. But one day he saw her in the foyer and he went up to her, introduced himself, and she just, just very naturally, she just said, well, I come in, I come out, I'm not sure I believe what you believe, but I'm actually intrigued. And he said, that's great, we're glad you're here. How did you find out about the church? And she told him the story, true story, she says she worked at a, uh, at a, uh, a TV network in New York City. And soon after she had been hired, she made a, a bad mistake, which she would describe as a career-ending mistake. And uh, she knew she would be fired for it. But before that happened, her boss went into his boss, and he took the blame for what she had done. Her boss said, you know, this was really my fault. I didn't train her the way I should. She wasn't prepared. And so don't be angry at her. If you need to be angry at somebody, be angry at me. But don't fire her. And when she heard about this, she goes into her boss's office. This is the woman that Tim Keller met. She goes into her boss's office and said, what, what's the deal? Why would you take the blame for what I did? And he said, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. But, but she wasn't sad. She pressed. She said, no, I've never seen this before. I've had bosses that have taken the credit for good things I've done. I've never had a boss 
who took the blame for something bad that I have done. What is up with you? He says, it's really no big deal. And she would not take that answer. And so she kept pressing and finally said, okay, I'm going to say this once, and I'm only going to say it because you are demanding that I say it. I am a Christian, which in New York City, I guess that's a, a risky admission to make in some, some, some case. I am a Christian, and my entire life centers around a man who took the blame for me. And that informs pretty much everything that I do. And so she said, where do you go to church? And that's why she showed up on that Sunday. And so that's a picture of a, of a gospel-shaped life. That's what the gospel is supposed to do. And that's what many of us here at Faith are pursuing, imperfectly, but that's what we're pursuing. And that is a type of life that is available for everybody who believes, including you. It really does. Heavenly Father, we pray that these things would be on our hearts and minds this week. We pray that we would not be able to not think about this news about Jesus. Whether we are already followers of Christ or not yet, we pray that we might uh, think deeply on these things, that we might allow you to convince us that we would be open to a life of faith and a life of walking with you. And God, we do thank you that in spite of our fickleness, in spite of our rebellion, that you did supply a Savior, the man Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.